Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, it's always a pleasure to come your way with the topics and guests to uh, help uh, give you choices and knowledge of those choices, help you find those new ways of living, uh, and help to make your dreams come true. We're here to uh, share with you some interesting ideas and when I say we, I mean uh, I and uh, uh, the guests that we have on the program. And today is no exception. Uh, we're going to get more information from our guests than there we are from me. We're going to be talking uh, with uh, the author of Dear Younger Me, Wisdom for Family Enterprise Successors. David Bentall is my guest. David, welcome to Tell Me Your Story. It's really nice to have you with us. Richard, thanks so much. Looking forward to sharing some of my life and my story. Appreciate it. And, and for those of you who are not watching the YouTube video, which is available uh, on the YouTube channel, Richard Dugan, he's wearing a tie. And I would say, eh, I suppose you're a little overdressed for, for uh, this program. We don't require a suit and tie or anything. But you know what? You, you come as you are. Uh, however, Richard, if, I, if I can just interrupt, I taught at the university for seven years. And I think I was the only professor still on campus wearing a tie. I've got them all hanging in my closet. I like wearing them. So uh, thank you for acknowledging that uh, I at least have it on. Well, I, I have to say that uh, I can't remember the last time I wore a tie. I have several. Matter of fact, I have one or two, maybe three um, of the uh, deadhead neckties. Yeah. 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 I, I, you know, you. I was yeah. I was given a few of those uh, over the years. But again, as I said, I don't I don't wear them, but no. that's okay. I don't have to wear them. But what we do want to do is help people to wear uh, a better um, countenance, if you will, uh, when right. it comes right. to uh, business, when it comes to um, our entrepreneurial and enterprise uh, uh, efforts, business and so forth. But I think that it also carries over into everyday life as well, even relationships. Not that I don't think anybody wants to turn their relationship into a business or an entrepreneurial venture. I don't think that would go over too well with the gals, especially. Um, Richard, you know. I'm so glad you talk about the, the bleeding in between business and, and relationship because my most recent book, which you've alluded to, is all about the relationships in business and how we can be better in those relationships. So um, we're on the same page. Yeah, absolutely. And and the fact of the matter is that I remember, uh, first of all, I am not a traditional salesperson. Now, the irony is my father has said on many occasions that I could sell ice cubes to Eskimos. Uh, no, no offense to Eskimos. Um, and yet, uh, one of my first sales jobs was as a paper boy when I was a kid growing up. And I was a paper boy for probably five years, eighth grade all the way through high school. I went on many trips to Disneyland. I have many awards for uh, uh, high sales and so forth. Though I didn't think about it at the time and going, wow, I'm really good at sales. I should go into sales. Uh, and then I go into college uh, and, you know, pursued the general stuff in junior college went to vocational school, moved to Santa Barbara and went to work for a company that uh, sold over the phone. And it was incoming calls, thank goodness. Uh, mm -hmm. they, it was called Bargain Network. It's no longer in business. What they did was sell this $29.95 a month catalog for, uh, initially it was for cars. And then they shifted over into real estate or homes. And I had a real hard time with that. And yet, I have the paperwork to prove it, I was also another one of those top sellers. Awesome. And I hated it. I hated the job, you know. But you were still good at it. But when I went, yeah, when I went to work for a radio station, they brought me in through the sales department. One of the things that they talked about was what we're going to talk about. They said that when you are going out cold calling, you're going to a company, a business, what have you, this is not about getting the signature on the contract and a check. That is not what it's about. It's about building relationships. And I'm going, that seems really disingenuous because the goal is to get the signature on the contract and a check to keep the radio station going. But ever since I moved to Santa Barbara, and I'm not in sales here, I, I'm the operations manager, my, uh, my supervisor, my boss, he, uh, the general manager, he handles the sales predominantly. But I'm part of his sales team in terms of production. And I relate to the customer, the client, the advertiser, the programmer uh, on, on a level 
that is very friendly, very amenable. Uh, I, I never like to say, no, we can't do that. I'll say, hey, let me look into it. Let me see what we can do. Uh, and quite honestly, if we can't, I'll say, well, here's the reason why. But maybe there's a, uh, an alternative. And I've always thought of um, that there's always a, a, a backup plan, you know, like in computers, you know, there's always a workaround. There's always a workaround. It's so interesting what you talk about being genuine, genuine. My father told me that uh, you couldn't trust salespeople. And yet four separate people told me they thought he was the best salesman that they'd ever met. Wow. And I think Richard, and I think Richard, the reason you were successful in sales, my dad, is because you're genuine. If you genuinely care about somebody, you try and help them get what's good for them. And often that may be what you're trying to offer. So, Well, I, I think that one of the things that did help me in spite of the, the conscious awareness uh, of uh, in terms of my dislike of sales because I'm trying to sell somebody something that, you know, maybe they don't really need, let alone don't want. Uh, and uh, that, that goes to this with our programmers. Um, my goal is not to be successful. My goal is to make the client, the advertiser, the programmer successful, and in turn, I am successful. Yeah. Is that lost in today's world? Because it appears that we seem to be going backwards in time uh, to the bottom line being the most important thing. Well, you know, I think it is lost in a lot of people these days. Uh, I'm not, I'm not negative about our society or our world. We've got, we've got lots of problems, but I think it is lost often because we're taught, especially in North America, we're taught about our own. You know, what do our parents want us to do? Grow up, get a job, and go become independent. What, what is, what is that about? It's about looking after number one, looking after ourselves. And I think if we can have a little more grace and uh, think about other people a little more. We're going to be better salespeople. We're going to create a better world. So I, I actually think it has been lost a bit, but uh, let's work on doing our part, Richard, to see if we can encourage folks to get past that perspective. Yeah. Well, you uh, you put this this book together, and it's it's not a thick book, but it's pretty it's hefty, you know, by comparison. Obviously, you uh, uh, spared, in a manner of speaking, no expense or moderate yeah. uh, with glossy, Thick paper. I don't know what the the measurements are for the different sizes of paper, but nonetheless, it's it's a nice uh, a nice paperback, and uh, it's a little oversized, but uh, it, it gives it's you some ideas. A, intended to be a workbook rather than a coffee table book. Okay, we want people to to use it to take it like a trusty sword into battle when they get up every morning. Uh, and I like the the. I mean, I again, I don't know uh, who chooses. Uh, you know, coloring for diagrams and uh, graphs and things of this nature, but the colors chosen here, uh, the blue and the brown, I know there's names for those, I'm sure, uh, are, I think they work really well in the context because they're not blaring, but they should, they, they give you just enough standout. Pop, but, yeah. but you talk about these nine character traits to transform your leadership. Now, I won't go into detail as to my original, uh, one of my leadership styles, other suffice it to say that I used to describe it as the uh, my Hitlerian form of management. <laughs> you will do this because I said to do this. Das ist gut, yeah. Uh, das ist not good because one of my <laughs> one of my co-workers, and I never referred to them as employees. They were always co-workers. He wouldn't do what I was asking because I was asking. Right. So I rephrased it. And when I rephrased it, he said, okay, I will do it now. And so what I learned very early on was don't throw your weight around. You don't have any. I don't care who you are. You're expendable. You can be replaced. Maybe not with as good a person, but you can still be replaced. Uh, or in some instances, you are not going to be replaced. They're just going to say, you know what, we'll just do without. Um, that seems to have happened over the years uh, in businesses in particular where they've decided that um, now we'll just we'll just give uh, some of these tasks to the existing employees. We'll have them take care of it, you know. So now the new the, the existing employees now they're overloaded with all of these other tasks that maybe on the one hand they weren't they weren't hired. This wasn't part of their job description description, but it is now. And the pressures on that individual, to not just be productive, but to provide quality productivity. Um, 
is 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 there an issue in that regard? Then we're going to get into these nine character characteristics. Well, I think that uh, you know we are all being asked to do more with less, and you know we've seen through COVID, uh, lots of companies have had to to make radical adjustments. And uh, I, you know, I, I think if I look at my own personal circumstance during COVID, I worked longer hours than I've ever worked in order to earn less. Right, so. I think that there's a, a lot of us are being stretched, Richard. I think that's a common challenge that we're facing in our corporation. Do you think that uh, do you think that any of the corporations are learning anything from this process in terms of realizing that it isn't the CEO uh, or the vice president or anybody else at the top of the pyramid uh, that is really making the money, the bottom line for the company, that it's actually the people at the bottom of the pyramid and that we need to show them more respect, uh, more consideration. I've often said that uh, the pyramid, the, 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 the pay structure stays right side up, but the pyramid needs to be flipped upside down. And it's the workers yeah. that should well, be making the big bucks, not the CEOs. Well, it's interesting. People talk also about flipping up the flipping the organization chart upside down and putting the, the employees at the top because they are the most important and the CEO should be serving them. And uh, I think that we, we could use a lot more organizations that think that way. And uh, I'm not sure you get very far trying to tr turn the, the compensation upside down, but I think that our compensation structures in North America by and large uh, have ended up being way too top heavy. So there's room for us to, to, to figure some things out there, Richard, for sure. But, you know, that we get back to COVID, you know, I think some of our corporations have learned that there are people who've been hiding. And I think so that there have been a lot of people who've been uh, sadly sidelined because they were able to hide. Now that people are taking a close look at things, um, I think I think in the next uh, several years, people are going to have to really show how they add value. And hopefully those who are adding value are the ones who are going to get uh, retained and, and paid properly. I'll touch on one other element before we jump into these nine character traits. Um, the population is constantly getting older and older. I'm 62. Now, I'm in, an I, I'm in an industry that I could work as long as I want to work, uh, especially in the context, let's say, if I was able to find a, a, a f an investor or a f uh, some financing or some network that would be willing to pay me to do these podcasts or broadcasts because they are actually broadcast podcast video casts. I love doing them. Absolutely love doing them. And I'm 62, but there are other industries where you start getting up into the senior years and because your health may not be optimal, it's going to cost a little bit more for medical care and those kinds of things. And, uh, you know, we could hire someone. Uh, we could hire two or three people for the salary we're paying you, uh, but they won't have the level of quality and experience and knowledge and wisdom for these positions. What about that aspect? Because nowadays there are two phrases for the elderly that are starting to be thrown at the employer to force them not to move people around. One of them is age discrimination. I've heard it said that the only way you can declare that is if they hire someone who's younger than you. But someone brought this one up and maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but if they're trying to get rid of you and they're finding, they're now nitpicking at all of your mistakes, uh, could that not be construed as elder abuse? Well, I think it sure could be. But, you know, I'm excited about what's happening because I think that uh, as health uh, has been as our health has improved, generally speaking, over we have a chance to keep working much longer. And I, I'm excited. Richard, you're in a career and I'm in a career. Both of us, uh, God willing, can keep doing this for, for a long time. And I actually think that people are prepared to to pay for wisdom and experience. And so I, I'm looking forward to a frontier, which doesn't mean I drop off the face of the earth of 65. And, uh, you know, I was talking to our children last night. God willing, I'd like to be doing some form of work uh, for a long time yet to come. So uh, I think that there's a great future for us, Richard, where, where we can work, maybe work a little bit less, 
but work a lot longer in terms of the, the years we have a chance to be productive. Yeah. Well, I, I jokingly, but it may happen, I don't know. I, first of all, have plans to live to be 100. My great-grandmother, my great-grandmother lived to be 100. And uh, when she was in her 90s, I used to say that I was going to outlive her, but she's making it really hard. Not that I wanted her to die. Don't get me wrong. Um, but um, uh, that they would have to peel my cold, dead carcass off the console, which yeah. is not a pretty thing if you consider the person coming in behind me having to peel my cold, dead carcass off the console. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Dave, my grandpa made it to 94, and uh, my mother-in-law is living with us. She's 95, and so I'm hoping to beat their record. I told my wife that uh, if, that uh, I'm likely to outlive her, given that my dad outlived his wife, and my grandpa outlived his wife. And my wife said to me, you're not getting, me, you're not getting rid of me that easily, she said. She said <laughs> so she, we're going to see who can make it the longest. There you go. It's a race. It's um, a race. Now, my dad's 91. He's been retired for many years, and... Um, uh, I, I want to actually ask both my parents. Uh, my dad will be 92 this year, uh, next year, uh, 2023, mother 89. And and they're both very vibrant still. Uh, but uh, the, the one question that I want to ask them that I kind of want to kind of put to the senior set out there is if you're not working, if you're not, you know, if there's nothing really in particular that you're doing, what is it that gets you out of bed every morning? Yeah. You know? I think it has to be more than a golf ball. Yeah. 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 So, I, uh, I'm not a golfer. I've taken one lesson, one lesson. And supposedly I'm pretty good at that one lesson. I, you know, but who knows? I may be horrible on the green, uh, yeah. on the putty green. David Bentel is Bentall is my guest. And we are talking about dear younger me. Uh, it is wisdom for family enterprise successors. And as we continue, we're going to talk about the nine character traits to transform your leadership as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it's a pleasure to have uh, David Bentala my, on the program here to talk about his latest work, which is, of course, uh, Dear Younger Me. He has a website that we will be linked to, ladies and gentlemen, and we want you to go there to find out more about him as well as the work that he is doing. The website is nextstepadvisors.ca. That's nextstepadvisors, all one word, dot C-A. We hope that you'll find uh, th find him uh, that that way. He is, of course, uh, on LinkedIn and Twitter and YouTube and all kinds all kinds of other places. Let's talk about these nine character traits. First of all, how did you come to um, sift down to just nine? Well, it's interesting, Richard. Maybe I should start by how I even got nine to begin yeah, with. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> Uh, you know, after I worked in our family companies for 20 years uh, and, uh, you know, my grandpa started a company that uh, resulted in him being uh, honored to be uh, inducted into the Canadian Business Hall of Fame. My dad helped biz build the business. So it was voted one of the 100 best companies to work for in Canada. So I wanted to follow my dad and my grandpa in our family business. And uh, sadly, things didn't work out that well. And uh, uh, after 20 years in the family business, everything got sold, and I spent the last 25 years working with other families. And one day, Richard, I was on my way home from having two separate family meetings, one in uh, the province of Saskatchewan, one in the province of Alberta. And Richard, I'd prepared really well for the meetings, but they hadn't gone very well. And I was scratching my head. Well, I have no hair anymore. I was scratching <laughs> my head, trying to, like, what, what went wrong? And I thought, you know, the first meeting, one of the kids, one of the next gens, one of the up-and-comers in the business, like me, like I had been, he was impatient. He was 25, his dad was 55, he wanted to take over the company, wanted his dad to leave, and he was impatient, and that was causing problems in that family. And I thought, well, that was his, so he, it was his impatience. And then I thought, well, the other meeting didn't go very well either, what was that? I thought, oh gosh, one member of the family, he, he wouldn't forgive his dad. And that was causing tension in the family, and mm. I thought, I'm sure glad when I was working in our family company, but I was not like that. Or was I? And I began to realize I lacked patience. And, and I lacked forgiveness in my own relationships in our family and in our business. And Richard, I grabbed a scrap of paper and I started listing what other ways had I been unhelpful. And pretty soon I had, I lacked humility. I lacked curiosity. I, list, I, lacked, list, I never listened to anybody else. I figured they should listen to me. I lacked empathy. I lacked gratitude. 
and I kept going. I lacked critical thinking skills. I lacked contentment. And so I got it to 10. That felt like too many. So I got, but it was, it, I really got there, Richard, by looking at my own life and then comparing it with the 25 years I've spent advising other families. And I think that these nine traits that I've written about are commonly lacking in family enterprise successors. So it was really a reflection, looking in the mirror, frankly, that I got the list, uh, what, what, what David did wrong, how I could have been different. So that's hence the title, Dear Younger Me. Mm. I know, too, that um, it has been repeated over and over again in, in current times uh, that we need to look differently at the concept of failure. Mm. Now, I would personally prefer to eliminate the words success and failure and rephrase them as life lessons or learning experiences because that's what, again, I'll use the word anyway, that's what failures are. They're learning lessons. Um, and, and, of course, you know this example has been used almost uh, to death, beating a dead horse, and that is the one with um, uh, Thomas Edison in the light bulb. And he found, he was asked how many times he failed. And he said, I never failed. I just found 990 ways that the light bulb didn't work. Yeah. And he just well, kept at it. Well, and you remind me of one of my uh, heroes. Uh, Einstein had a similar take on life. And, you know, we all regard Einstein perhaps as the quintessential brainiac. But, you know, he said, uh, and he thought about his, his own life. He said, you know, I'm not particularly um, brilliant. He said, I don't have any special gifts. I'm just incredibly curious. Hmm. And I think that the, what, what I'm hearing in that, Richard, is that here's a man who obviously was gifted, but he brought curiosity to the table. And he wasn't worried about, he wasn't worried about failing. He was wanting to keep trying and learning from his experience. So I, I, I like your idea. My, my, I'm a competitive water skier by avocation and uh, my coach says that we we need to treat success and failure both as the imposters that they are both are imposters success is really not what we think it is and failure is not what we think it is they're both just tries and we need to keep learning from each so that, I, I'm 100% with you that uh, I, it'd be good to get rid of those words in our vocabulary yeah we're talking uh, right now here with uh, with David uh, Bentall, and we're uh, discussing this whole aspect of leadership characteristics. These nine uh, character traits. Uh, uh, let's uh, let's talk about these. Uh, let's uh, knock out the first three here: humility, curiosity, and listening. I, I like to group those, Richard, under the banner of connection. They're all about building connection. Earlier on in the broadcast, you talked about building better relationships and how important that is. One of the reasons I wrote Dear Younger Me is if we're going to work, primarily my clients work in family businesses, but whether we're in a family business or whether we're just in a family or whether we, have, or whether we just have a group of friends we want to get along with, our connections with them, our interpersonal relationships with them will be greatly enhanced if we can learn humility, curiosity, and listening skills. And why did I learn that? Why did I learn that? It's because I was all... I always had the right idea. Don't listen. Don't. I wasn't going to listen to you because I wanted to tell you. And so that's why I, one of the reasons why I no longer work for our family company, because I came in running around telling everybody what to do. And uh, I think, you know, if I can quote Mark Twain, he said, wisdom is the reward you get for a lifetime of listening when you'd rather have talked. Mm. And it takes humility to become like that. It takes curiosity to be like that. And so I've been working on cultivating humility, curiosity, and listening in my own life. And Richard, can I just add how that relates to business for a moment? Because, Please. You know, you tend to, th we were talking about relationships. Of course, it's, these things can help in our relationships. But, you know, Mich how did Michelin Tire become one, a, a household name around the world? Well, Edouard Michelin, who was the head of the company in a previous century, he was a man who led by humility. What do I mean by that? He would walk around and ask his employees what they were up to, and he paid attention. You talk about the upside-down pyramid. He was paying attention, and one day he, he noticed that one of the guys in his print shop, not even working in R&D or, or tire manufacturing, in the print shop, had some strange object on his desk, and he asked the kid what it was, and the guy explained, and he said, young man, you've, you've got a really good idea here. 
I'd like to have you in our R&D department. And that young man who he moved into the R&D department invented the radial tire, which became you know, the centerpiece of Michelin Tire's global strategy. And it came because Edward Michelin was willing to be humble enough to ask this young guy in the typesetting department, what are you doing? And so I think actually humility is not just good for relationships. It can actually be fantastically helpful in getting ideas and flowing them up the organization chart and implement it so organizations can grow and, and satisfy their customers, as you and I were talking about earlier. How do you balance the humility, though, with the personal recognition of your abilities, capabilities, aptitudes, uh, and, for example, um, being able to say, still with humility, I'm good at what I do. Richard, I don't think we have to ever say that. You know, I think we need to take our eyes off ourselves. And that's what humility is. I'm quoting again, if I may, briefly from C.S. Lewis. He says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, not thinking, putting yourself down. It's just thinking of yourself less. And, and you know, as you talk about making proposals to and working with your broadcasters and various things, uh, I, as, a, as an advisor to families, I spend very little time talking about what I can do for them and try and focus on what they need. And notice how that, that's the curiosity and listening lives right beside humility. If I can work with our clients, this morning I was on the phone with a gentleman who's got a successful construction business. Two of his boys are working with him. And I said, how would you like to help your boy? He said, I got two things I want. I want to help them grow their self-esteem and I want to help them learn how to, in the future, be able to manage our business. Okay, so how do you want to do that? And he said, well, I think they need some coaching. And I said, well, gee, as a firm, we provide coaching. Would that be helpful? You notice that 90% of that short little conversation I've summarized was about what are you looking for? What do your boys need? What do you want? And I said, well, we might be able to, to help you with that. And, and the focus was on him. And I think humility is about thinking less of ourselves. Doesn't, so we don't have to talk about how good we are. We need to talk about what do people need and then try and mm. satisfy their needs if we can. That's my perspective on it. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Oh, no. It makes, it makes perfect sense. And, uh, you know, I, the, the interesting thing is, is we've got so many, <laughs> so many examples of just the reverse. You know, I did this and I did this and I can do that and I can solve and on and on and on. And, and do you know where that comes from? It comes from insecurity most of the mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. At least it did for me. I was wanting to tell everybody how good I was because I didn't want them to find out that I didn't know everything. Yeah. Well, I have to say that it is thousands of people who are responsible for me being here talking with you. I didn't get here on my own. Right. right. And I recognize that. And that wherever I'm headed, I will get there uh, because of the people around me today who have, uh, uh, who have been here supporting me. And a matter of fact, there's one woman... Oh, my gosh. Going back a good 30, 35 years, uh, she's probably since passed on. Back in Phoenix, where I was born and raised, a woman by the name of Margaret Pekarik suggested to me in a very, uh, very educator-like way. And it was good. It was a good thing. She was mentoring you. Yeah. She was mentoring. She says, you know, I think that you would benefit from joining Toastmasters. Nice. And so I did. I got to tell you, I had a blast. It was fun, yeah. you know. Good for you. Uh, and um, and 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 so I thank her for for that recommendation. I'm involved in a theatrical presentation here in Santa Barbara. I wish my other mentor, who was uh, very much involved in radio and television and theater, uh, she was actually my acting coach. It's funny too because the relationship that I was in back then, um, she knew the dynamics thereof would never let me do a romantic or love scene with anybody. <laughs> but I still had a great time uh, getting to know the people and with the people I'm working with now on stage and, and the singing and the acting and then those kinds of things. Uh, it, you know, the longer you're together, the more you become a family. But you also recognize, maybe this is a good example or a good analogy, you recognize not only how important your role is, but how important your role is to them, they need you as much as you need them. Richard, I'm just so uh, touched by the fact that you picked up two folks who mentored you. You know, uh, 
you and I are in our 60s now. I don't meet a lot of folks in, the, in their 60s who are willing to admit that they needed a mentor or they had someone to mentor them. And I think in the next generation, we don't have enough folks looking for mentors. One of my mentors has told me that he thinks we all should have at least five mentors. Oh, wow. And, and that's why, through, as a result of writing this book, we develop not just the nine traits as things that people should learn. We've actually, Richard, during COVID, developed a mentoring and coaching program so that if any of our listeners are wanting to learn how to cultivate these traits, we're not going to just slap a book on their, on their desk and say, read it and do it. But we actually, we've developed a mentoring and coaching program so that we can help people to learn how to cultivate these traits. Because we, 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 don't, we, we don't get to do these things on our own. Uh, we, we need help. We need coaching. Yeah. So, good for you. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Absolutely. Dear younger me, David Bental is my guest, and you are listening to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we are talking uh, about these nine character traits in terms of your leadership skills and abilities, not just uh, on the home front, but in your business as well. Yes. One of the things that I'm finding interesting that I have run into over the years in my career is how much of a family most of the jobs I have had have become, including the one I'm at right now, where the longer you're there, and I have to tell you that up until two years ago, uh, a job that I had at a Christian radio station was the longest job I had ever stayed at 15 years. Wonderful. Now, this job I've been at for almost 17 years. And uh, it certainly breaks the mold of what I was told in broadcast school about be prepared to be moving around because you'll be moving around a lot from radio station to radio station all over the country. And I'm thinking, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. Not if I can well, help uh, it anyway. Richard, I, you're showing loyalty. You know, that's that's a scarce commodity today. Yeah. 15 years, 17 years. We don't have. My dad actually took a salary from our family company for 50 years, 5-0, 1938 to 1988. And when my sisters and I bought, bought the company, if I can poke my fun at my dad, we, we said, you've, kept, you've taken a salary for 50 years. Your, your kids now own the business. We're cutting you off. You've, you, you've been paid for 50 <laughs> years long enough. So, so we stopped. But he, did, he came to the office for another 10 years, a uh, little, little shorter days. But yeah. uh, 17 years, 15 years, that's good longevity, Richard, today. It's awesome. Yeah, and, and I mean, I've been doing this for 43 years. I remember my father, who does not like me to refer to him as a, a wise person, um, uh, but he is, uh, at least to me, uh, and he said to me once, he says, find a job you love doing because you're going to be doing it a long time. But then he ended the statement by saying, don't get stuck like me. But my father didn't get stuck. He went back to junior college and he got his computer programming degree where back then in the 70s, they were using fanfold paper and punch cards, yeah. you know. Uh, so that last part, I just, you know, I find rather interesting. But be that as it may, I've always felt that I've been in the right place at the right time, whether it be paperboy delivering newspapers, which, by the way, even at 62, if the job were still available, Okay. You'd do it again. You'd I do it again. would absolutely do it again because it really isn't that much different than this job and doing these interviews. I got to meet some incredible people, have great conversations with them, and run a business. Yeah. You and know. you're sharing news, you're sharing information. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted, to, I wanted to be a fireman when I was a kid. Really? And Yeah. And one of my friends, well, so much so that I, I, I screamed and threw a bit of a tantrum when I was 10 because my mom and dad were going to buy a blue. Pontiac Frisienne for her, and they decided, I said I wanted the red one, so they, I wanted to have our own fire truck, so they bought the red. I know I was a bit of a spoiled brat, but they, they agreed to buy the red one. But, you know, our family was in real estate and construction, and, and Dad knew I wanted to be a fireman, so when we bought a fire hall and actually tore it down to build a shopping center, unbeknownst to me, Dad had the fire, the fire pole put on a truck, flatbed truck, brought over to our home. We had enough, we had a little forest out behind our property, and he had our our, some of our carpenters build a tree fort. And I, as a kid, all the friends in the neighborhood would come and, and we'd play on the, uh, we, we had a real fireman's fire pole. And the reason I mentioned that is that I always wanted to be a fireman and, and I, I'd forgotten all about it until a few years ago. And someone said, David, you're, you're getting to live your dream now. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm a family enterprise advisor. What's, 
what do family enterprise advisors do? You help prepare, you help protect families' businesses. You help protect their lives. Yeah, that's what a fireman does. And you're and so so I now try and help families to protect uh, their their assets, not not with a hose, but uh, hopefully with a little bit of wisdom, as you say, your dad tries to share. Yeah, uh, the other part of uh, my father that that is only slightly disheartening, and I called him not too long ago to share this with him. <clears throat> he he would sh- he would be sharing with me uh, and the other kids too. And I, I come from a family of eight, six kids, uh, four wow. sisters, two brothers, uh, one brother, uh, myself obviously, and then my parents. Uh, and my father would say, and he said this in his nineties. He would say he would say uh, when we would talk about you know being raised and being taught this and that and the other. Well, your mother gets all the credit for that. I really didn't have anything to do with that. And I, so I called him one day after watching this wonderful movie called um, uh, "I Can Only uh, I Can Only I can, Imagine." I think yeah, is the title yeah. of the movie. You're the familiar guys who with wrote it. Dear Younger Me. I named my book after the Mercy Me. They wrote Dear Younger Me. Yeah. Yeah. And um, after watching that movie, I called him up and I said, um, D- you know, Dad, I-, I-, I just want you to know that in spite of the fact that you don't feel like you had any impact and influence on our lives and on my life in particular, I want you to know. I wouldn't be half the man I am if it weren't for you. Good for you. And I love you very much. And you had as big a role in in uh, uh, influencing us as mom did. You know, and again, not to take anything away from my mother, because uh, she brought us into this world. And there were times when she wanted to take us out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Richard, you and I have something in common, because it sounds to me as you've spoken tenderly about your father being a uh, being offering you wisdom and and you wouldn't be half the man you are if it wasn't for for his influence my dad was one of my heroes too and i'm so grateful that you and i have in common men who we can look up to and yeah. i i strive to be that kind of person for our four kids and now for our nine grandkids i oh I wow want them to be, yeah we're very blessed with nine so, and and we're trusting god for more so um, <laughs> we we, you know, we are so blessed and I, to have fathers like that. And I, I want to be the kind of man that our kids can look up to. But that brings us back to these ideas. If I can cultivate these kind of character traits, it's going to make a difference, not just in my business and not just in my personal life, but also in my family life. We're talking with David Bentall. His book is Dear Younger Me. And uh, we'll give out that website in just a moment as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And uh, we're having a really fascinating conversation here with David uh, Bentall, who has written a book called Dear Younger Me. And we started out with uh, the first three traits, character traits um, of humility. I'm remembering two of them, humility and listening. (laughs) What was the middle one? Curiosity. Curiosity. Knew there was one with a C. Uh, and that's where I'm at, too, is, is that level of curiosity. I've always been curious, but I've also, also used uh, the logical part of my brain in that curiosity to uh, not necessarily always question authority, but to question the answers that I would receive when the answers I was receiving did not make any sense. I mean, that, especially working for the Christian radio station and listening to a lot of uh, a lot of the commentary uh, of a, a spiritual life, uh, it was just fascinating. It's like, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. That is uh, one specific. I'll, I'll give you. Um, Paul says in the epistles, he says, "It is appointed every man once to die, and then the judgment." Right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now you better explain to me Lazarus. Okay, explain it to me, Lucy. I don't understand. How is it that Paul says it's for every man once to die, but Lazarus, according to the gospel, died twice? Hmm. Now, what is death? What is the what is the definition of death in those times? Because we can't really use our definition today, you know, because we have all these great machines and diagnostic tools. And, oh, now I know the heart stopped, but there's still brain activity, so they're still alive. It's like, okay. 
you know, so the, the, then there was there's one other that I'll throw out there that doesn't make any sense. And, and by the way, on Lazarus. Yes. I'm going to I'm going to guess that Paul might have put a little if he had time, he might, he might have put a little footnote that said, except for Lazarus. Yeah, he's an exception. <laughs> yeah, he probably would have. Uh, the other part of it is uh, Adam and Eve. Yeah. Uh, we started out with one human being and then we got two. There is absolutely nothing in the book of Genesis that tells us uh, beyond Cain and Abel who came next. So the conclusion, and again, I mean no disrespect. It was Lucy, it was Lucy and Mary. Don't you know anything? But... <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. And I mean no disrespect, okay? But uh, the, here's the conclusion. What we call... What they did back then to propagate the species, today yeah. we call incest. I mean, there's no other logical explanation. Yeah. And well, I know that's offensive. Well, no, but I, I think you're pointing out, you're, you're trying to point out some logic. And, you know, I, our son has a PhD in Old Testament studies. So you're talking to a guy whose son knows a lot about the topic you're, ah. you're, you're embarking on. And our son, John, has helped me a lot because he said we, most of us make a big mistake. If we, if we dare to open the Bible, most of us make a big mistake. And that is that we bring our modern mind to it rather than submitting to it. Mm -hmm. And he said our minds are confused as we look at it, so we can't, don't let it speak to us. And he said what we're better to do is take a look at this book in the in the world that with, within which it was written. The context. Understand it in, in its context. Yeah. But he said, we also need to look at the world behind it. What is the world that, that gave rise to it? Right. So we look at the world that it's in and the world behind it. But he said, we need to also take a look at, or be aware of the book, the world that's in front of it. Yeah. And the world that's in front of it is the world we're in. And he said, if we can, if we can step past that, and come to it and submit to it, we'll find that some of it's poetry. Yeah, absolutely. Some of it's history. Yeah. Some of it's letters. And so, you know, I, 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 come, I grew up in a Christian home, and I, I, I believe that the Bible is a message from God for all of us. Yeah. Do I have trouble with it from time to time? Yeah. You know what my biggest trouble with it is, Richard? Hmm. It asks me to do things I don't want to do. <laughs> and you know what's, what's so inconvenient? Is that if it's God's message, maybe maybe I should be a little more about submitting rather than questioning. But that 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 it, I but I I respect you for wanting to ask genuine questions. Like well, like I don't think God's in in favor of incest. So there's there's a logical problem. I, I get the problem. Yeah, yeah. And I had a couple on talking about marriage, and I said, okay, so we can conclude based upon the information that we have that the first marriage was between Adam and Eve. Who officiated? Who sanctioned it? All right. Where's yeah. the uh, the marriage license? Did they have blood tests, etc.? I mean, I get I get facetious, but yeah. um, you know, and and that kind of thing. And it's like, okay, there was no officiant. I mean, oh well, God officiated. Well, all right, fine. But um, there are people who get together today. They may or may not have a ceremony, but they're committed, as committed, and they will, and many of them. They live and then they die together and so forth. So anyway, but we'll 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 leave that for, for another conversation. But I, uh, I'd I think be happy that's, to pick it up another day. Pick it up you another day. Really I, good question. But I think that's fantastic that you and your son have that uh, that kind of conversation and, and that he's got that uh, that level. I've had rabbis on this program who we've talked about these kinds of things and the, the one thing that they have always uh, they, they love to talk to me about is that one word context. Do you know the context in which this particular law was written or that particular law was written? What was going on in that day that required 613 laws, you know, yeah. before the Ten Commandments and so forth? So it's, I, I just, I absolutely love those kinds of conversations. I want to uh, touch upon three more of these, um, these uh, character, character traits. traits. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we'll do that as we continue talking with David Bental here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And uh, what are the next set of three that we can talk about here after we have uh, already discussed 
a humility, curiosity, and listening. Good for you. So the next three I'd like to talk a little bit about, Richard, are empathy, gratitude, and forgiveness. And those I loosely group around compassion. If we are compassionate with others, we will be more empathetic and more forgiving towards them. If we're compassionate with ourselves, we'll be more grateful uh, and less hard on ourselves as we think about our own lives. And I, I want to start with forgiveness because we've been talking about what does the Bible have to say about this and about that. You know, I, I, one of my clients was really interesting. We were talking about forgiveness and, and business. And she said to me, you know, business is supposed to be about spreadsheets and marketing plans, not forgiveness. And I said, are you saying it's irrelevant? And she said, no. She said, I've discovered that if you're going to have anything that works in a business, you need people. And people are messy. And if you've got messy people, you're going to need to have forgiveness. And I thought that was such a lovely insight because my, what, I've, what, I've writ, what I've written about, Richard, is how important it is not just in our personal relationships, but even in our professional relationships. What if one of your colleagues forgets to meet a deadline or forgets to deliver something? We need to forgive one another or else we just cut off every relationship. Uh, then, then what have we got? Yeah. And so to have sustained, you know, I've been married 44 years. Gosh, my wife and I have had lots of practice uh, at forgiveness because we've, we've, we've hurt each other. We've disappointed each other. And so if we're thinking now to entrepreneurs who are listening, if we're going to have relationships that are going to work, we need to forgive. And, you know, Thomas Watson, former head of uh, IBM, I don't know if you remember the famous story, but he had it. one of his salespeople came back and had failed to land a million-dollar contract, which back in the pre-war days was, a, or uh, just post-war days, was a very big contract. And he, he, he put his letter of resignation on the table to Mr. Watson, said, I'm sorry, I failed to get the contract, and here's my letter of resignation. And Mr. Watson ripped it up and he said, having invested in your education, I, you know, I, I, I want to, to have you stay with us. And uh, he didn't use the word forgiveness, but practically speaking, he forgave that salesperson and said, Let's, as you said before, what is success? What is failure? That was a success because that young man learned a powerful lesson and, and stayed, stayed with the organization. So one thing we need to, yeah. in our businesses is, is to be more forgiving. And empathy, let's just talk about that for a sec. You know, uh, some of our listeners will know of Slack Technologies, a, you know, a, a, a leading technology company headquartered in San Francisco, but I'm from Vancouver. They have an office in Vancouver. And the, the co-founder, <clears throat> Stuart Butterfield from Slack Technology, now CEO, he said that their number one value is empathy. Well, that was a bit curious to me. Most people talk about quality or service. He said empathy. And as he was interviewed, <clears throat> he said, Empathy, and as they define it, is noticing and paying attention to others. And he talks about it as tipping their umbrella. And I'll just, you know, because I'm from Vancouver, I loved his story. He said, he said, David, in Vancouver, we know it rains. And what happens when it rains? People pull out their umbrellas. And he said, one day he was walking for lunch, uh, and people were walking the other way, and they all had their umbrellas. And they were all at risk of poking each other in the eye because the sidewalk was narrow. And he said, the people who had empathy took a moment to notice the others, and tip their umbrella as they walk by. And Richard, it doesn't take a lot mm -mm. to show someone else that you're paying attention. And so uh, empathy is one of the things that, I, as a young man, you know, my uncle had waited 30 years to become president. And I joined the family company when I was, when my uncle was 55, and I started talking to him about potentially being able to be prepared to leave the company in 10 years. That upset him. Because he'd waited 30, and I was thinking I only had to wait 10 to become the next president. Richard, if I had just a modicum of empathy, I would have realized that me just talking about such a rapid ascension to the top position would offend him. And I didn't understand why he was so upset. Hmm. So empathy was something I was badly lacking. And the last one uh, in this little cluster, uh, forgiveness, empathy, gratitude. Richard, you talked about how important it is for us to think about those we work with and how those we work with have helped us to get a job at the radio station or whatever. And uh, one of my favorite speakers, a fellow by the name of, of Tim Keller from New York, he said, you know, you skeptical New Yorkers, he said, you think that you're that you sitting in, in front of me here that, uh, that you all have been self-made men or women. 
He said, you've all, you've all been to these Ivy League schools and you've worked hard on Wall Street and you've earned all this money. He said, if you were born in Tibet in the 13th century, Wall Street didn't exist and they had no Ivy League schools. Would you be sitting in front of me now today with your Mercedes and with your Rolex watch? And he said, you think you're a self-made man or woman? You're, you need to be grateful that you were born when and where you were. And, and just to conclude that, for me, advising many families in business that I do, many of the next-gen kids coming up in a family enterprise think that the world owes them a living rather than taking the attitude that I want to cultivate in myself and that I encourage my clients to cultivate to be thankful that we're born where we were and at the time we are. And so these are three of the things, Richard, I think that I missed badly in my life. And so I want to encourage family business leaders, family business successors to pursue empathy, and gratitude and forgiveness. Does that make any sense? It absolutely does make sense. And it also, I think, raises uh, uh, an issue that I, I didn't personally deal with, but that I observed um, in 2008, 2009, and, but also more recently with obviously the, the country shutdown of the last two, two and a half years or so. Uh, and that is uh, especially back uh, uh, 2008, 2009, when hundreds of thousands of people lost their jobs due to, mm -hmm. I don't know what you call it, but it was an economic downturn. Let's and, just call it. Say, let's just call it what it is: policy decision making related to COVID. That's fine. Yeah. Well, you know, no, I'm we talking 2008, 2009. Oh, two, yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Back that far. And these Global thousands of people front. lost their jobs. And uh, one of the first things that came to my mind was, I wonder. And this deals with more metaphysical constructs of um, karma. How many of these people hated their jobs? They didn't like them. For example. Those individuals who were working in a family business so that my dad did this and his grandfather, his father and his father, and his father. And so I've got to do this. I don't really want to, but it's expected of me. And, da -da 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 -da. and now they've got to go out and figure out what they're going to do with their lives. And then entrepreneurialism exploded in mm -hmm. 2009-10. Just it, it just was it was incredible. Uh, and when you think about that, go back a hundred years to the people who came through Ellis Island and they started these little mom and pop businesses that 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years later are major national and international corporations doing business globally that started out as a mom and pop venture. And... Uh, it's like you have no idea what's going to happen, but when the adversity comes along, well, which we'll call it a challenge, yep. what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And uh, for me, for example, when, when my wife and I lost our jobs back in Phoenix in 2006, my wife was scared. And uh, she came to me on March 1st, the day she quit. She called me up at work on my, la on my day that I'm cleaning out my desk and everything. She says, I quit my job. In my head, I was screaming, do you know I'm unemployed too? You know, I didn't say that to her. But we're sitting there watching TV. She comes over. She says, I'm scared. I, I don't know. What are we going to do? And I said, well, because I've been doing interviews like this since the early 80s. I said, w with everything I've learned over the years, there's only one thing you can do. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to jump and we're going to trust. When you come to an edge, uh, a cliff, metaphorically speaking, you jump, jump and, trust. and trust. And that's how I wound up here in Santa Barbara talking to you today. So the next step is who knows? But every time that kind of adversity comes along, people do that. And to jump into your own business, maybe uh, at that time, if you had any equity left in your home, <laughs> you'd, you'd put that towards uh, uh, that, or maybe you were able to get a loan, a uh, small one, to get your business started, whatever the process was. Well, and Richard, it's so interesting because, you know, when, when our family businesses got sold as a result of my dad and my brothers having a, a, a bit of turmoil in their relationship, a bit of turmoil, a lot of turmoil in their relationship, I, I thought my life was coming to an end because I was going to work in this company that granddad started and my dad ran. But, you know, Richard, I, I never would have had the privilege of becoming a professor at the university. I wouldn't have written three books. 
I wouldn't have had the opportunity to travel all around the world as a competitive water skier. I, there's a lot of things that I wouldn't have done that, that have been wonderful that uh, had uh, had I not had the adversity that came with uh, the businesses all being sold. So I love your uh, your emphasis on trust and jump. Yeah. So that's good. Well, here's here's an interesting twist for uh, for the whole sequence. Been doing this for over 43 years. Uh, I started, believe it or not, in broadcasting. I could go back to working in the audiovisual department of Phoenix Community College for a few months while I was going to school. But my first job started on the 29th of August, 1979. I was 19 years old. And over the course of uh, time, as I was doing that, I went to the state uh, because I, of course, was declared I was legally blind. And so I went to the state to take an aptitude test. I took it. I took the test. And the aptitude test said I should be a farmer. Hmm. Well, there is a certain element of metaphorical truth in what I do today. But I'm not the one that's necessarily planting the seeds. I'm giving people such as yourself the opportunity to plant the seeds of knowledge and information and wisdom, hmm. hopefully into the minds and hearts of the listeners so that it will grow within them and expand their consciousness, their awareness, their insight, uh, their education and so forth, uh, so that they can make their lives better and then subsequently the lives of the people around them through a lot of what we've talked about today. Thanks for inviting me to your farm. <laughs> now, will you please uh, hook up the plow and pull? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> David, uh, David Bentall is my guest, and we're talking about his latest work in regards to the nine uh, character traits of leadership, Dear Younger Me, and the subtitle has to do with wisdom for family enterprise successors here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host on Tell Me Your Story, and we're talking with David uh, Bentall. And uh, David, first of all, I want to thank you not only for what you've shared with us here on the program, but also uh, for being a part of what we're doing here in terms of uh, trying to make this world a better place for everybody. This is not something that's exclusive to a certain class of people in America, let alone around the world, because we've got listeners uh, with the podcasts all over the world. It astounds me sometimes some of the countries that are actually listening. Uh, India is number two on the list after the United States, which I find Great. really fascinating. Uh, unfortunately, Ireland, my my heart's desire for living, uh, comes in a sad fourth, but at least it's there in the running. <laughs> yeah, and, and you might be very, you're probably very happy that, you know, I played rugby all through high school and university. Ireland's now the number one ranked rugby nation in the world, so you must be proud of that. Oh, yeah. Hey, any any anything we can get, even if it's, to raise a glass of Guinness at the at the, the local pub. Uh, yeah. By the way, do you know where? It's sort of a joke riddle. Do you know where the best, the best Guinness is to drink? Well, I, I think I'm going to be the straight man. No, tell me, Richard. The only place where you're going to get the best tasting Guinness is in Ireland. Yes, they sell it in the states, but it's not the same. Not the same. It's just not the same. I, I have been told that. I'd forgotten that. You're absolutely yeah. right. A friend of mine's family from Ireland, he told me that. Yeah. yeah. And it's, again, and I will tell you, it's not because of the recipe is different. It's because of where you're drinking it. Where you, okay. and who you're drinking it with. The, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. The local constabulary. Very good. Well, I have three final questions that I would like to ask you that I ask all of my guests. And over the last 15 years, we've sort of changed them up a little bit. Uh, and I will ask you those in just a moment. But first, I want to thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story. New paradigms for a new world as we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. for a special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. We have the podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, Oh, my goodness. iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations on the Internet. And I thank those who have been reposting the interviews on the various platforms. I really appreciate that. 
<clears throat> we uh, also ask that you spend some time going within and listening to that still small voice. You know, when I get to this part, David, I then think, you know what? We never touched on intuition in regards to this whole thing, in regards to the character traits and 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 uh, and so forth. But that's just a good reason to have you back for another program. Uh, but uh, we want you to spend some time going within during this, the decade of perfect vision, where you listen to that still small voice and follow the promptings. It's not it's not going to hurt you. I promise. We also ask that if you can support the work that we are doing here at Tell Me Your Story, we would greatly appreciate that. We have a PayPal account. It's there for your security as well as ours. And when you go there, uh, you will be asked to uh, put an email address in. Uh, to whom to send it to, and it would be Richard at RichardDugan.com. That's Richard at RichardDugan.com. And with all of that being said, we go to our final three questions. And the first of those is, who is David Bentall? Well, thanks, Richard. Uh, it's really interesting. Um, uh, who is David Bentall is not a question that uh, you'd think that I'd have thought about very much. But I actually thought about it a lot because David Bentall is a man who likes to be like his grandfather. My last name is Bentall, and my grandfather was a man of integrity, so I try and be like him. And my dad, Clark, my middle name is Clark, and my dad was a visionary, and I like I want to be like my dad, to be a visionary. And who's David? Uh, the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart, so I seek to be a man after God's own heart who's visionary, and seeks to help families by leading with integrity. So that's just a, you, you touched a very personal <laughs> note there for me. So that's that's who I am, David Clark Bentall. Another similarity between you and I, by the way, is that my middle name is my father's first name. Nice. So nice. I thought that was, that's pretty cool. Next question is, what is your life's purpose? Well, it's interesting. I've thought about it. I, I first wrote a, a mission statement years ago, and I wanted to become a wise and joyful steward of the life and legacy I've been given. It sounded pretty rote, right? But I was thinking about what my dad had done, my grandpa. So I wanted to be a wise steward of the life and legacy I'd been given. But as I've thought about it more, um, maybe, but I thought about it a lot. And I've decided, Richard, that my, uh, my mission for my life, my vision for my life is that I would do one thing and that I'd be a reflection of God's love. And I want to do that in my relationships with you and we're talking. I want to be tender. I want to be kind. When I'm with my kids, my grandkids, with my clients, I want to reflect God's love to those who I'm with. So that's that's my purpose. Mm. And final question. And I preface it by saying I hope you get the movie reference. What was your best day? <laughs> oh, gosh. The one that I'd like to repeat, like Groundhog Day, over and over again. Uh you know, I think my best day was probably uh, the day that um, I spent with uh, our grandson uh, this past summer. We were on our boat, and uh, he cuddled up beside me in the front deck, and I turned to him and I said, um, how are you doing, James? And he said, this is the best trip ever, Grandpa. And I said, uh, tell, tell me a little more about what you love. Uh, I didn't want to say what you love about this trip, because that would be about me. I said, you know, what, what are some things that you love? Hoping you might talk about the trip. And he's very keen about, about trains. And so he's had trains on the boat so he could play with his wooden trains. And uh, he also loves his favorite movie because he loves trains. is the Polar Express. And I said, so, James, what are three, three things you love? And he said, Grandpa. Three things I love. I love Jesus. I love trains. And I love the Polar Bear Express. And I said, James, those are three really good things to love. And I'll, I'll leave our listeners guessing. But he asked me after that, uh, Grandpa, and I told him those are three good things to love. He said, Grandpa, what are three things that you love? And I'll just keep that between me and my grandson. But the day that our grandson opened up to me and shared what mattered to him, we had that tender moment. I think that was one of my best days ever, mm. Richard. That's that's beautiful. That is beautiful. I um, I had just watched City Slickers uh, after um, uh, before I went on this trip with some buddies of mine, and we uh, took this boat that I had assisted in refurbishing because it had a hole in the bottom, fiberglass boat, just a little rowboat, and um, 
I was all by myself up at the lake, and I had no transportation. I was literally stuck because one of the guys had gone back down to, to the city for some medical tests. I said, you know what, uh, this is not going to be a total loss. So I got some breakfast, cleaned up the place, and I said, I'm taking that boat out on the lake. I helped to refurbish it, doggone it. Yeah, and I rode up and down and up and down the lake. And then I got it back up on the shore, and I went back to the camp, and I lit this big old fire for one hot dog. <laughs> yeah. Then the other guy, well, there's going to be three of us up there, the other guy showed up, and he brought this big pot, and uh, we started heating up beans and a bone-in ham stuck in the beans to cook. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then he pulled out, we had uh, beer, and then he brought out this, this uh, bottle of Jack Daniels. And so we're sitting there drinking Jack Daniels and chasing it with beer, and we're just sitting there talking. And it cooking, was cooking that, the ham in cooking the ham in the beans. Cooking the ham in the, the beans, and and I I was able to say that was my best day. And for the next thirty days, that happened to be Labor Day weekend uh, in 1993. And for the next thirty days, each day after that, I could say, "Wow, this is my best day." Over and mm. over again, it was so fabulous. And I've had some since then. And I thought, boy, what a great question to ask. A, Ask the guest, what was your best day? Because um, I loved that scene in the movie where they're writing and they're asking that question of each other. And everybody's yeah. is different. And I've had guests on multiple times since I started asking that. Sometimes the All answer's different. different. Yeah. But it's, it's great well, fun. And, and, and Richard, it touches to what matters so much for us to, yeah. to cultivate this gratitude, right? To take a moment. My sister, every morning, she lists the three things she's grateful for that morning as she has her coffee. And I've Learn from her to do that every morning, and yeah. um, we then, need to pause and be 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 and be, be grateful, grateful for what we have. Be grateful, absolutely. Even and even I'm, if it's a, even if it's just one hot dog over the yeah. over the fire. <laughs> I, I I really had to laugh at myself at that time because I mean it was a big roaring fire. Yeah, you know, <laughs> but uh, but it was it was such a blast, and uh, and uh, uh, so I can't. Uh, oh, by the way, speaking of that camping trip, uh, because it was so cold. And then it started raining. What we did was with the fire we had at the time, we put rocks in the fire to heat them up. Mm. And then we made the mistake, thinking this was a good idea, of wrapping the rocks post-fire in newspaper. Not thinking that not the rock that... would catch the paper on fire. Uh, we then, of course, resorted, resorted to uh, a wet cloth. And we put it inside my tent. I just had a little pup tent. And it was just me in the tent. And uh, it started raining inside the tent. <laughs> oh, <boy>. But uh, <laughs> uh, I tell remind you. Remind me to never go camping with you. There you go. <laughs> your best day ever. <laughs> well, David, once again, thank you so much for being with us here on the program and uh, helping me to uh, reminisce a little bit and laugh as well. It's very important for us to keep doing that as well. And uh, if you want the other three of the nine character traits for leadership, you're going to have to go to his website, pick up a copy of uh, Dear Younger Me. David Bentel, my guest, and you have been listening to Tell Me Your Story. You've also been watching it. Uh, and uh, this has been a program about new paradigms for a new world, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to Lal and Jeanette, I am listening. <laughs>